0: Welcome to the Resilient Life Hacks podcast. Join host Liz Myers and her guests as they explore resiliency through the lens of personal stories. Tune in weekly for inspiration and doable life hacks to overcome adversity and thrive in life. The opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by guests of this show are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of Elizabeth or Resilient Life Hacks ministries.
1: Welcome back to the Resilient Life Hacks podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth Myers, and I have my guest here today with me, Nicholas Natali. He is a podcast host himself, an entertainer, and an entrepreneur, and he has some neat lessons to share with us about resilience and his unique story. Thank you so much for being on the show today.
2: I am so excited to be here, Liz. Thank you for having me. Let's do it.
1: Definitely. Definitely. So tell us about your your story of resilience. It sounds like an interesting topic to me. I'm ready to, to hear what you have to share.
2: Hot dog! Yeah, let's jump right into it. I think where the story kind of begins is in college. One, this was the last choice of college that I wanted to go to. Last on my list, and I, God, kind of nudged me go to this place. I had thirteen others on my list, but this is where I ended up. I thought it was going to be too expensive. The I went to Cal Baptist. So it was about forty five thousand dollars a year at the time, maybe forty two. But when I went into college. I came in with a mindset that I want to graduate a year early because I know college is expensive and mm-hmm. I don't want to have to take on all that burden, especially with the school costing so much already. And the the story of resilience begins because the major I went into was new at the school, software engineering, and I think it was only like the second or third year. So when I approached academic advising, like, hey, I want to graduate a year early they were like, no, not a chance. You're in engineering. You don't You do not do that, one. And two, this is a brand new major, and nobody's ever done that, so you're certainly not. And I'm like, oh, well, I will find a way. Well, I'm yeah. moving on here. So I go to the dean. I go to the dean of software engineering at the time, and I'm like, hey, man, this is what I want to do. He also shoots me down, hits me with a no. So now I'm thinking maybe it's really not possible. Maybe this yeah. is like some sort of like hard line in the sand mm-hmm. where you can't do it professor after professor I'm asking and then finally someone just sits down with me shows me a little grace and says let's see if it's even possible and so that was the moment where I was like, okay thank you someone's yeah. trying to see that I'm actually trying to get something done here right and he sits down we walked through it and it was like overloading every semester you know 18 units you have to do it no summer's off like you're taking all the classes but he was like you can do it if you put in the work And then I did. That's then I'm like, okay, let's let's do it. Let's bang it out. And that was probably where the first little hints of resilience starts festering Mm -hmm. in inside of me a little bit.
1: Yeah, just making that decision to do it.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I remember the story shifts after like I'm I'm in my final year, you know. I'm like, okay, nice, I'm gonna graduate early. And I remember sitting down at my my table, which was in my my kitchen with a couch. We put our couch in the kitchen because you do things like that when you're in college. It doesn't make Mm -hmm. any sense, but that's the fun of it. And I remember checking my student loans amount and it was sixty thousand dollars. And I was like, oh my gosh, how did I let this happen? Like how did all the I worked so hard for this and I still have 60 K to pay? Are you kidding me? And so my mind is spinning how am I going to pay off this debt? That's that is unreal amount of <laughs> of cash money to have to throw down.
1: Yeah.
2: And so I started I started thinking of everything I could think of, you know, like, maybe I'll donate blood every day until I graduate. Maybe, I, you know, like, I'm, yeah. I'm like, maybe I'll pick up another job here and there. And the idea started getting put in my head of like, like, hey, man, you should just live in your car after college, pay it off. And I was like, Oh, yeah, that's kind of a funny idea. Like, maybe I will. And every time I talked to someone, the idea got a little more serious. Like I remember talking to my sister and her dad owned a 1986 Chevy Suburban and was like, hey, if if you do it, I bet you my dad will give you the suburban to live in. Like if you're thinking about living in a in a in a car. And yeah. I was like, maybe professors started weighing in there, say, don't do it. That's so <laughs> dumb. Please do not. You can there's other options. I remember one professor was like begging me like. Nick, you don't have to do this. you don't have to live in a car, and I was like, now I have to you're this is <laughs> this is this is changing everything
1: challenge accepted
2: exactly, and my sibling's dad actually ends up giving me this suburban, and i'm I'm kind of freaked out now because now it's real, right? <laughs> I can't accept <laughs> the suburban know. and not live in it' you're right um and that's that's I think the next portion where things take off and i am I'm in over my head for most of it. For sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's probably not a a plan for living out of your car. I don't know. I've thought of a lot of ways to save money, but that one has never crossed my mind. <laughs> I can honestly say.
2: It it helps. I will say that. Mm-hmm. So the next the next few months, my brother and I, we start we we start turning it into a camper, and we have two beds, a little couch, a little sink. You know, like we, it's all makeshift. So we put it together. It's not like it's not the ones you see on Instagram where it's like yeah. got like. You press the button and the bed levitates, so you can yeah. like put your table in. It's not like that. Yeah. It is a piece of plywood and some some cutout memory foam,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and that's where it starts out. And I end up getting a job down here in Fallbrook, San Diego, for the Navy, and it just oh my gosh, the first the first few nights were horrible, just because it's like it's so new, mm-hmm. it's it's terrifying because I've never been in this city and I don't know where to park. And it's a yeah. little, it's a little sketch <laughs> and Just a little. it's, it, it's blazing hot. I'm like sweating the whole night, not mm. sleeping. And for whatever reason, within the first week, I thought it would be a good idea to sleep in dark places because maybe I would be able to sleep a little better, yeah. but dark places are usually not as safe as places mm-hmm. with lights, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um and there was this one night where I I pulled in pulled in behind like this abandoned trailer and there was a forest on the right side of me and then the street on the left side and there really wasn't any lights. And I t- I took some pre-workout that day and I don't take pre-workout so it hit mm-hmm. me really hard. Mm-hmm. And so I was laying there wide awake with nothing to do. Yeah. Just paranoia setting in, right? <laughs> just the quiet. I can hear like the crickets chirping but I'm like, what is that? What is that? What is that, what is that beast outside? Mm-hmm and then a car pulls up and i can only hear a car cuz i have curtains all around i hear a car pull up right behind me and there's nobody there's no one else around like why why this street yeah and so i'm like gripping my bre- my my bed <laughs> at this point <laughs> yeah and i can hear the footsteps like moving closer to the front door of of the burb Mm -hmm. And so I have this police baton that was a gift, but what am I going to do with the police baton? I'm thinking (laughs) if they break in, I'm going to hit them with it. I'm going to hit them with a baton. Why? I don't know. Or maybe I'd yell at them, scare them, but they get to the front of the, the burb right where the driver door is and they just stop. And so now I'm quiet. Like I am quiet as can be just waiting for what's going to happen. And then they end up sprinting into the forest, just (laughs) gone, just sprinting. With with no regard for anything. I'm con- just as confused as you. And I yeah. also make the very, very dumb decision. I'm like, you know, this is the night I'm going to prove my faith to God, which, you know, I'm going to put my faith in God to keep me safe. I should have just moved. I yeah. should have <laughs> just moved after that. I was terrified the rest of the night praying to God, please keep me safe, yeah. Yeah. which he did. You know, I woke up and the car was still, le- still there. Yeah. But it was, it was a very, very dumb way to go about it for yeah. sure
1: that that would really be freaky yeah so did you actually like start the tiny home movement was that were you the pioneer of that
2: (laughs) i think so yeah i i think my face is definitely plastered right next to all all the tiny home brands out there
1: yeah you should you should have like branded it you could be like rolling in the dough right now
2: It's funny that uh, the I feel like the van life really came on right around because I graduated in 2017, right around the time that time. Everybody like it was almost a little bit before, but everybody viewed it as a very like leisurely lifestyle. And that was not the case for me. Yeah, because as soon as I got this job, I went I went over overload on everything. So I started working 60 hours a week. I started 60 to 80 hours a week. Wow. trying to get overtime so i could pay off my loans and then i was also not eating at all i was oh. eating one pb&j every 1 to 3 days and oh my, my stomach was just getting sick mm. like terribly terribly sick and i was trying to put every single dollar i had toward this loan to pay it off but really i was i was like killing myself in the process yeah. it was yeah. it was grueling
1: that's pretty extreme too. I like I thought that living in the car part was extreme, but <laughs> one PBGA every 3 days, you're like in a survival situation practically.
2: Yeah, and and it felt that way. It, yeah, it, I remember so I ended up showering on base at the base gyms as you mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> as you know about those base gyms. Yeah. Very but nice. the, this the this base like bathroom gym bathroom at Camp mm-hmm. Pendleton was the the dirtiest, grimiest, mm. most smelly, disgusting bathroom I've ever been in. Like if yeah. I have a whiff of that smell now, I like get a little something yeah. in the back of my throat. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I and re- I remember going into the showers for the first time and there was like 30 dudes mm. just wide open. And I <laughs> I am not used to that, like, yeah. like any of uh-huh. that. And I remember texting my brother like from the showers being like, hey man, I can't do this. This is like three <laughs> days in. like, there's no way I'm going to shower with this many guys. Yeah. For, for the remainder of uh-huh. the, the the year. But that ended up having mm-hmm. to be part of part of all of the learning for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So our in our family, we have eight kids and there's one summer we were moving from one base to another and the housing wasn't ready yet. Long story short, we wound up living the summer in our we had a camper attached to our suburban. So we did have that. But it's 10 people nice. in a camper. But we we did the same thing. We go to base and base gym, work out, take a shower. <laughs> I mean, we have a shower in our camper, but it's like, you know, like little tiny. You gotta squish up in there. But we've always we have a suburban just because we need it for the people space. We put in an extra row of seats in the back. Nice. Like no cargo, but we can fit all the people. But yeah, I can't imagine you know, I thought living in the camper was rough, but living in the in just the car. I don't know. I think I, I was hearing your your story about the the nighttime thing i'm like i think i would have a dog did you ever think about yeah. like a guard dog or i guess then you got I another did. mouth to feed though
2: <laughs> yeah a little verb dog to, to protect me it's <laughs> it's funny you say that because at some point it kind of became like i kind of get it i kind of got a better feel of where i should and shouldn't park and mm. y- you know even even though it took two months until i finally realized where it was it, i think it did help once i once I got a feel for it but it also added new elements so I ended up parking down by the harbor in in Oceanside and there's a lot of homeless there so I had a lot of homeless interactions and there was uh encounters with police because police often patrol more homeless Mm -hmm. areas right? right but there was this one weekend where I where I like really wanted to like have a break you know I was like I'm going to take this weekend for myself and recoup from this you know all this mm-hmm. starvation and and sleepless nights so I tried to sleep on base and, and I went down there's a nice beach on Camp Pendleton that you can that you can park at and hang out at and I was like I'm going to sleep here but I had this gut feeling that like I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't try to sleep here. This is such a a bad idea, but it was so nice. Right. Mm, This is like safe, quiet. I can see the beach. It's exciting. And so I go to bed anyway with that pit in my stomach and I wake up to a knock on, on the door on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's never good. And all of the knocks that I've had, it's never been a good knock. It's usually like, you got to get out of here or Mm -hmm. Hey man, you have any food? Mm -hmm. Um, so I like, My, there's a little spot in the burb where I can drop down, and the curtains you can't see me like you Mm. can't see through it. So I drop down in this little spot, and I'm like trying to figure out who's out there. And I see six marine police with ars (laughs) circling (laughs) the burb, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is it! This is I'm (laughs) done. This is where it
1: ends, yeah.
2: This is this is where it ends for me, yeah. This is this is my last, my last word, and they. I think they were going to leave. I didn't know. And I was trying to make the judgment call of like, do I get out and talk to them or do I just like pretend nobody's <laughs> nobody's in here and ride this one out? Yeah. And I, I think, hopefully I made the right decision, but I like, I got out of the burb, and I was like, Hey guys. And they're like, Oh my gosh, we thought you were dead. We thought there was a <laughs> dead body in there. And I was like, Oh no, I'm, you know, I'm alive. I'm fine. And they're like, "What are you doing? You you cannot be here. You you have to leave right now and never come back." Okay. And I was like, "Okay, yep, thank you." <laughs> Hopped in and just like skirted out of there, terrified. Yeah. yeah. And it was, I it was one of those moments where I was like, one, maybe I should have listened to my gut. You know, I did have a gut instinct that said, "Don't do it." But right. two, one of those things of like, I'm happy I made that one out alive. Yeah. i I'm, I'm happy that one turned out much better, and I did not get arrested yeah. for whatever I just did.
1: <laughs> that's true did they have a dog with them
2: no but the first day of work they did the bomb smelling dogs yeah, yeah. on my burb because i had uh-huh. those water jugs on top that yeah. was also very brutal yeah very tough
1: well we've lived on base a lot and they just do periodic checks so like i'm used to being inspected by the police and have the do- drug dog go all around and what what time he pulled me over and, and he, you know they said it's time for your random inspection and he's like, is there anything in your car that I should know about? And, you know, having a bunch of young kids, I'm thinking, okay, did somebody leave a sandwich in the back? Is there like dirty <laughs> yeah. socks hanging out? You know, I hesitated. And then I'm like, oh, he's probably asking me about like guns and drugs and things like that. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, there's nothing you should be concerned about. I might be embarrassed at whatever you find in yeah. the back of the car, but you don't need to worry about it. I have
2: a lightning, lightning McQueen lunchbox in the back. Don't yeah. don't look at that. <laughs>
1: Just don't open that. Yeah, Yeah, definitely.
2: That's so did, was it
1: worth it in the end? Like all the it was, excitement um, and the, the sacrifice?
2: It was worth it.
0: When building a resilient life, the first step Liz coaches people to take is to spend time daily with God. When you seek God consistently, he will show you the best next step for your journey. If you'd like a peek at how Elizabeth connects with God regularly, Download her free prayer guide and journal at elizabethmeyers.me forward slash prayer guide. You can now have the same journal Elizabeth uses every day and make it your own. Yeah, if we have
2: time, there's this another yeah. really big portion of this that oh, yeah. honestly, that I, that I feel like I took took a lot from. But overall, it was worth it. Um, mm-hmm. Looking back, I think it, it was an experience that shaped me and kind of like it really made me depend on God every day. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I remember every night, like it was a half prayer, half beg, you know, like, God, mm-hmm. please keep me safe. Like,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I will, I will serve you all of my days, <laughs> you know, like very, <laughs> yeah. very, uh, yeah. And I think I, 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 that relationship with God formed on a deeper level because there was that real dependency and i Mm -hmm. think it was dependency and there was no distractions because i didn't have any stuff to distract me Mm -hmm. so all i could really focus on was paying off my loans and like talking to god i had a lot of time to talk to god Mm -hmm. there was a a moment where so i at the time i was making like some fun youtube videos of of the of the burb life and so since I worked for the government, I guess somebody saw those videos and I wasn't doing anything like wrong yeah. or bad or anything right. like it was just, just documenting the experience. Um, and they reported me saying that I was a bum and I was yes. stealing from the government. And all I wanted to do oh was work overtime so I can travel. I could take my bourbon travel places. Yeah. And so this huge government investigation got launched on me like oh an goodness. official one. Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, where is this coming from? You know, like, uh, why is this happening? Yeah. And so they started auditing all of my, my messages, my emails, my time cards, my wow. work, like everything I'd ever done for the company. They were ciphering through. They like asked me to come in and like interrogated me, like investigated, like you know, whoa, what are you really doing? You know, uh, who are you? What? What's you? what do you really like? And I was like, Oh, my gosh, and this went on for like a span of two weeks. Oh,
1: wow. And
2: um, my, my manager at the time, thankfully, was probably like one of the only people on my side was like, I'm gonna stick up for you. I'm gonna like, you know, fight for you and all this, so on and so forth. But what happened in that duration, little duration of time, I get a phone call from my ex girlfriend. And she says, hey, I'm going to Europe. I'm going to leave my car with you. Oh, no, sorry. Her friend, her friend called me. Mm-hmm. Her friend said, your girlfriend is going to, or your ex-girlfriend is going to Europe and mm-hmm. we have this Toyota Corolla and you're going to take care of it. You're going to keep it. And I was like, what am I going to do with the Toyota Corolla? I live in a car. Yeah. Like, how am I going to, how am I going to take care of your car while I live mm-hmm. in a car yeah. in the midst of an investigation? So now I'm like right. double stressed. So I'm like, okay, well, drop it off at, you know, in front of my friend's house at the time, and so she does. And I have this idea. I'm like, you know what? Maybe if I just start driving in the Toyota Corolla instead of the Burb, it'll throw them off the scent. <laughs> and so the next day, I uh, one I I drove the Burb to a Walmart eight miles away, and then I ran back to get the Corolla, and then I drove that one to the Walmart so I could <laughs> sleep in the Walmart and have a place to park for five days yeah. until I got booted. I drive the Corolla into work. And one of the main investigators is like, Oh, we have a second car. I don't know why they're having this investigation on you. How can you have two cars and live in your car? And I'm like, Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> and from there, it's just like this decline where people start caring less and less. And I move into the Toyota Corolla for the next two months. It, and that was even worse. Awful. Yeah.
1: Uh-huh. What'd you do with the Suburban while you were living in the other one?
2: I did a lot of running back and forth of, mm. I'm going to park here. I'll run five miles, go get it, run oh. back, park there. I did that for about three weeks until finally I asked my brother, please come pick up the perb. I'm tired of running every day.
1: Yeah, really. <laughs>
2: too much nerves to run.
1: <laughs> and if you're only eating one PBJ every three days, I don't know how you have the energy to run <laughs> that much.
2: Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think I ended up being, I started... At like one ninety eight, one ninety five, and then I ended around like one seventy, 170, one seventy three. Like just hmm. big, big, drastic change to my body, mm-hmm. and yeah. that was tough.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, how long total were you in that situation?
2: I lived in the burb for about three years, but I paid my student loans off in eleven months. So okay. that was really exciting.
1: So after you paid um, them off, you kept you kept living there, huh?
2: I did. Yeah. Uh I think I I don't know at some point it shifted to where I was like I kind of like this. <laughs> this is this is kind of fun. Yeah. Like the pain of it was no longer like this grueling pain for me. I mean it was really uncomfortable but
1: mm-hmm.
2: my friend the friend I was telling you right before this mm-hmm. who's a Air Force pilot I ended up getting him a job at the same place and he ended up living in the suburban with me for like 8 months. So that I think that also added a layer of like, okay, this is really really hard, but I have I have somebody here with me that's like going through Mm the same thing, and then Mm -hmm. he ended up paying off his student loans too. So it was nice.
1: So you could start like a whole club of extreme loan payoffs.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'll show you what it takes, whatever it takes to pay them off.
1: Yeah, well, I you know just listening to you, I'm thinking this would make a great book. And then you got to make a movie out of it after that. I think it would be really fascinating. I think, that,
2: I think that's the next move. I think you're yeah. right. I, yeah. You know, and it's it's funny you say that because after I paid off my, my student loans, I had this very interesting situation where I lost a lot of my purpose. Like, because I had the same purpose every day for 11 yeah. months, I'm going to get up and I'm going to pay off my loans. I'm going to work real hard. And then suddenly I don't have that. And I think part of the reason that happened is because my my identity was in that, was kind yeah. of in that. So once I didn't have that anymore, once I didn't have that, like, I'm going to pay off my loans, I was kind of left a, a little empty and I got yeah. depressed. And I started thinking that my story didn't matter, that, you know, my past experience for 11 months didn't matter. The fact I paid off my loans didn't matter. I th- complete 360 from what I was mm. previously just experiencing. I didn't tell anybody I paid off my loans for like a week and a half because I was like, nobody cares. My story doesn't matter. And that is weird to me. One that it happened. But two, I think to your point of like, you know, this, you have a story, this matters. I think that probably I'm going to assume it happens to many of us. Like we think our own stories don't matter. We think our own like lives and achievements don't matter. And they're not worthy of sharing. And that was a big lesson for me post. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. I even told the story for a year after I had accomplished oh. it because I didn't believe it was worth telling. And that's mm-hmm. terrible. I think that's yeah. really, really a poor judgment on me. And I hope anybody out there that has a story can also resonate with that, that you yeah. have a purpose yeah. and your story does matter.
1: Right. Yeah. And I, I believe everybody has some sort of story, you know, that you can work from and help others. I think a lot of times we don't see the value of our own story because it's just our life. We just grow up with it. And I, I, People a lot of time are fascinated by the fact that we have eight kids and I'm like, it's just normal to me. I don't really think of it. So I don't mm-hmm. know what is, is special or unique about our family because it's just, it's just my people. But uh, yeah. And I think, you know, all of us are, are that way, but it takes like talking to somebody else to go, hey, you should really share this part of your life with someone.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I was just thinking that. I'm like, you have eight kids and you're able to run a podcast still? That's amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's well, that's two, an
2: accomplishment. Two of itself. them are
1: adults and gone. So actually, I only have six at home right now. But...
2: Hot dog. Well, six feels... is still. Yeah. <laughs> it feels small to me.
1: <laughs> only six. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Man, that's wild. Yeah. I, I, I come from a family of five. So I feel like I, I don't quite know what you're feeling, but I mm-hmm. do. I mm-hmm. get it.
1: Yeah. 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 So you you make movies or or something, don't you? You do videos?
2: I do. I do make videos. And I've been acting for the past three, three years, maybe a little bit more. And recently, a couple of my friends and I are starting to put to put together a couple couple little skits, little scenes, little shorts, Mm -hmm. and we're hoping to end up having put it putting together a short where, you know, we can tell an important story sometime pretty soon.
1: So you could star in your own movie about that's the Bible dream experience. That would be way cool. Yeah,
2: all
1: right. That would be Wait. super cool. You gotta tell me when that comes out. I'll oh
2: yeah, <laughs> no absolutely. First in line. I'll give you a ticket to the premiere.
1: Yeah. Wherever right. wherever it is. Yeah, that would be awesome. Very awesome. So what are like yeah. some things that you learned in that time? I mean, your your story is like really unique and uh, you know, not many people have that kind of experience, but certainly you learned some things about resilience and about overcoming adversity that are applicable to lots of people. Like what are some big life lessons that you took from that whole experience?
2: Man, I think some of the biggest ones is make a plan, even if it is live in your car to pay off your debt, you know, make a plan, be really clear on, the goal that you want to achieve and i'm 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 getting more into the idea of habits and systems really and behaviors really make up our uh, achievement of goals so set up a good system for mm-hmm. your own your yourself so you can clearly achieve whatever outcome it is that you want also i think having faith oh my gosh because faith is the toughest thing because you can't see the other mm-hmm. side of your goal you can't even mm-hmm like you have to be able to visualize you achieving this goal but you have to have faith that it's going to happen and you have to have faith that god's going to provide for those things yeah. like i was i was i was just praying for god to provide for food and it got mm-hmm. to a point where i wasn't concerned that he was going to provide because i had it's 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 repetition it's habitual like faith is almost habitual like once you start believing enough over and over like you will learn to to trust god and that he will provide for you and also, my friend that moved in, I can't tell you how great it was to have someone going through the same experience as me mm. and and someone who was in my court completely. And the reason I say that is because I got down to where there was 4000 left in my student loans. And I had $4,400 in my, in my bank account, my, my save, my emergency saving fund of like 2000 and then the 2000 paycheck I just got or whatever Mm -hmm. paycheck it was. And I remember telling my, my friend who was going through with me and I was like, Hey, I only have $4,000 left." And he said to me, put it all on it, pay it off. And I'll cover you whatever happens from here on out. Like if an emergency happens, I got you. And I knew he meant it because the bird broke down once and he, he split half with me. And he was living in it too, but he didn't have to. It's my yeah. my bird. Yeah. And I think having someone that you can tell things to, like, this is a struggle. Can you help me out? You know, giving me accountability of like, this is what I want to achieve. How can you help me get there? We would have competitions of going to the grocery store and seeing who could spend less and make it last the longest. <laughs> I once ate a hundred fish sticks over the course of three weeks. And it was disgusting. And that was it. That's all, uh, all I ate. Uh, but he was also only eating like edamame and oh, that's microwavable worse. rice every day. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, ugh. But I think that was a huge component. So community is, yeah. is kind of the final so answer of that. Did you
1: have a microwave in there? Or are you eating frozen fish sticks? or? What, how did you cook
2: <laughs> them? <laughs> I would like hide them in the work freezer. <laughs> and, like Slowly. <laughs> of like each day have like two during lunch then use the works microwave once you got out of work your your opportunity to eat was almost shattered because you didn't Mm. have a microwave or anything
1: yeah well that's crazy so my freshman year at the air force academy you know you're not supposed to well you can go out to like the the dining hall for dinner but the upperclassmen kind of harass you and you don't want to so you're allowed to have some food in your room but you don't you're not allowed to use the microwave or the fridge that's in the squadron or anything. So oh, um, man. I got some little stainless steel bowls and I would turn my iron upside down and prop it up on the chairs and I would cook like SpaghettiOs <laughs> in the little bowl. So I wouldn't have to go to the dining hall and get yelled out by the upperclassmen. I could eat alone and in silence. And, uh, nice.
2: You figured yeah. out your own strategy. Beat the system.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I've done some strange cooking things too, I guess, but
2: that's awesome. A, I, Yeah, getting creative with it. You have doesn't to. Doesn't sound
1: good. <laughs> I wouldn't want to eat cold oh. fish sticks. So at least you had a place to heat them up.
2: Yeah, that's true. I mean, there was a there was a time, and here's a point about resilience. Uh, <laughs> I'll mm-hmm. tell a story first. There was a time where I was so hungry, and all I had was um, like one little Tupperware of the microwavable chicken, like the ones that come in yeah. a bag, and you have to microwave it. Yeah. And it was like chicken and maybe a little bit of cheese on top disgustingly bland. And I wouldn't I could I had to eat like I was so hungry. So I went into a Starbucks and I was like, Hey, Starbucks, can you microwave this for me? Can you hit this up. And I remember them being like, you want us to heat up your chicken? And I was like, Yes. And they're like, let me ask my manager and like I could see them like discussing in the back like, should we heat up this guy's microwavable chicken? Like that's kind of yeah. weird. They ended up doing it. But the point being is One, you're going to have to do things that are uncomfortable in order to get the outcomes you want. Mm -hmm. And two, you have to do what it takes. Like once you fully commit, you can't say, oh, well, now I don't really want to do it. I don't, I can't, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to, you got to go all in. And you have Mm -hmm. to find ways to make things work. And even if that means, you know, sacrificing hopefully it's not your your physical well-being but if it is maybe it's that or sacrificing your social hour every tuesday the sacrifices have to be made if you want to achieve anything you want to do that's yep. that's a guarantee
1: yeah i think there's also a lesson in there about you know your willingness to ask for help and to for lack of a better word just kind of look silly maybe or feel i don't know i would feel really awkward doing that. And Mm -hmm. I would feel like, well, if I'm going to ask them to do something then I need to buy a cup of coffee, but that would defeat the whole point of eating the chicken in the first place. So.
2: Exactly. Yeah. And that's a great point. I I feel like that was a big thing too. You know, I was coming out of college where my friends were graduating and getting between $70,000 and a hundred thousand dollars right out of school because they're software engineers. I wasn't getting paid nearly as much. And I'm living in a car, very broke and malnourished like my my image of myself did not <laughs> fit the mold of right. where I was just coming from,
1: yeah,
2: um and that's that's I think we we can't ever control other people's perception of us mm-hmm. and even though sometimes that's kind of tough to to handle that's that's the truth, and mm-hmm. you know the only thing we can really control is how we view ourselves in our understanding of how we believe God views us. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's like, hey, man, you live in your car and you're, you're you're this and that, I get to determine if that's true. I get to yeah. determine whether I'm going to take on that identity that they're putting on me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. That's totally true. I tell my kids that all the time when they're like, she called me this or she said I was that. And I'm like, but you and I both know that's not true. So it doesn't matter what that <laughs> other person said because that's that's not the truth. But I, you know, I think I forget to apply that to myself sometimes. So that's a very good reminder.
2: Oh, same here. Uh, yeah. yeah. I'm not immune to that. I, yeah. I, if I feel like people's projections are always something that I'm probably going to have to fight. And and it's interesting because it turns into, should I, so mm-hmm. since this person believes this about me, okay, maybe I should act or be that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that sucks. That yeah. sucks so bad.
1: Yeah.
2: Like thinking, thinking in terms of like, should I be this rather than what do I want? What do I want to do? What does God want for me? Right. Those are bigger questions to really, to Mm -hmm. really ask. And I think the, the should eyes and uh, all these, all the noise is, is a distraction and Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what's my, it may not be a sole purpose, but what are my big things that I'm trying to impact people Mm -hmm. with? You know, how do I serve what are the talents I already have that I can serve the people around me in my immediate community? How can I be a better friend? How can I be a better partner? Like mm-hmm. those are, those are the things that really matter. And I think everything else is just white noise in the background.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. To, to I think God has bigger dreams for us than we even have ourselves or certainly more than maybe other people want to project on us, but it's, they're usually out beyond our comfort zone. <laughs> I always say the, you know, the fruits at the end of the limb, it's not on the safe end of the limb. You got to get out on the limb to get to the fruit. But I think that's, when, yeah. when we can do that, when we can live in the freedom of who God made us to be and not stress about what we think we can or can't do or what other people think of us, I, you know, I think that's true freedom and really living. And I'm not there yet, but I'm working towards that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you. And that, that's a great point. That's a great point of God has bigger dreams for ourselves than, than we ever could. Mm -hmm. We, I, we got a call my, the guy I lived in the burb with his aunt lives in China and says, and said to us, Hey, people have been seeing like your journey of faith and we would love to have you come talk in China to our international Mm. school about faith. So we got to speak in China about faith. Wow. And I remember, and I remember being there thinking, I couldn't have planned this myself. Mm-hmm. There's not a chance I would have been like, I'm gonna start living in my car, and then a year from now I'm gonna go to China and tell them about it. That's yeah. not plans I could make. Yeah, and I, I, I think, I think to your point, and that was really, really humbling for me mm-hmm. that I couldn't, I couldn't have planned that. Mm-hmm. You know, God orchestrated something like that, and I don't, and I'm, I'm not saying that as in like God had special favor over, mm-hmm. over this little part of my life. I think it's to your point of. Like if you, if you can be obedient and listen to what God has for you, he'll let you shine. You Mm -hmm. know, he'll, he'll, he'll give you opportunities to, you know, bring glory to his kingdom.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's really neat. That's like you, like you say, it's just nothing that you could plan. It wasn't in your, your goals list, but it's like, you know, just an extra bonus thrown in for, for your faithfulness and your obedience. So would you recommend this lifestyle? Like to people who are trying to pay off debt or something, or is this more of a story of, hey, I did this really hard thing and it was cool, but you might want to do it a different way. Like, what, what do you tell people?
2: I tell people that I am, I am an extremist and I'm aware of that. So if someone is wanting to do this, beware because it's, it's the extreme version of it. Yeah. If somebody's yeah. trying to get out of debt, I always recommend like. You know, like I, I, I wouldn't eat out if I went out with friends, I would try to bring my own food or or something mm-hmm. like that. I recommend starting there. That's like something everybody yeah. can do. And if that doesn't work, you know, order an appetizer instead of a $30 entree,
1: mm-hmm.
2: like they, I think there's modifications of it, but yeah. I, yeah, I, I think extremism is a blessing and a curse and I don't know if it's for everybody.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's probably true. I'm sure personality and, and you know comfort level of different things plays a lot into it. And I I don't know, I think it would be easier for a guy to do it than for a woman just because we need more mm-hmm. stuff to, to live with and more conveniences, you know. But maybe that's my bias. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and,
2: and and I think about that sometimes. Like I even though I felt unsafe, I you know, I, I don't think I was ever put in a position where I was like truly the underdog all the time mm-hmm. yeah. you know what i mean mm-hmm. like i don't think i think I, there would have been some level of like strength against strength fighting mm-hmm. fighting it out or something i wouldn't have yeah. been taking advantage of if i right so i i agree i agree
1: yeah yeah i think probably definitely a bigger safety concern for most women but i don't know it's it's like you could kind of say like well try Dave Ramsey and if that's too slow
2: <laughs> then you yeah. could
1: go with Nicholas's car plan.
2: <laughs> yeah, I got it all mapped out. If anybody wants it, I'll keep, I'll give yeah. you the <laughs> All you got to okay. do is live in the car and don't eat.
1: <laughs> there you go. Even when I was mm-hmm. in survival training, they fed us once a day. So like once every 3 days, that's hard to wrap my mind. That's like fasting all the time.
2: Yeah. And it was bad. It was it was it was disgusting and I was trying to find a better way to do it the whole time like i was mm-hmm. trying to find a way for me to not be so unhealthy one time this uh one of my coworkers he he eats really clean he was like a super health freak at the time and somebody gave him a box of donuts and he was like i'm not going to eat these do you want them and gave them to me and i was starving and i ate 11, 11 of them in an hour cuz i was like oh yeah, yeah i need i need food i need all of it and uh, it just wrecked me and yeah. i i did that i feel like anytime free food was available or, like, given to me in a non, like, gl- I'm going to glutton take, mm-hmm. it, take it from you. I There wasn't anything I wouldn't eat. Yeah. And that was probably really bad for me. And yeah. I'm happy I did it when I was in my early 20s. and <laughs> you can recover I feel better. Like if I,
1: yeah.
2: yeah, I feel like if I did that at any point in time later in life,
1: uh-huh.
2: probably wouldn't bode as well for me.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Dave. That's really a unique story. And I feel like I've learned a lot. I know our listeners have too. So if people want to connect with you after the show, which I'm sure they will, can you just tell us where to find you about your website and how they can connect with you and learn more from you?
2: Absolutely, I do have a website, nicholasnatali but you can find me on any social media at Nicholas Natalie. Um, I have a podcast, the Nicholas Natalie Show. If you want to listen to that, it's on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And to your point, I'm in the process of making a debt course of how to get out of debt, oh. which which is exciting for me. And I'm hoping to outline, you know, extreme, <laughs> great, good, yeah. you know, so yeah. I, have, I have a full strategy of what people a sliding want. Sliding
1: scale, not, yeah.
2: <laughs> That's not going to be in the works for a little bit, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I'd love to have people connect with me and chop it up with them anytime they want.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. And you definitely need to let us know when your book and your movie come out and maybe we'll meet again, have another show.
2: (laughs) Yay. Absolutely. I'd love that. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll put all the links to those various things in the show notes. So if you are listening to this podcast out and about and in the car or whatever, when you get home, you can look up the show notes and just click on the links to get access to those things. So thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I really appreciate your your openness and your honesty and just sharing the things that you've been through and sharing the lessons that you've learned.
2: Thank you, Liz. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me. This was
0: so much fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was. I have to do it again.
0: Absolutely. You have been listening to Resilient Life Hacks with Liz Myers the opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by the guests of this show are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of Elizabeth or Resilient Life Hacks Ministries. To learn more and download your free guide to Liz's top 20 Resilient Life Hacks, go to resilientlifehacks.com. Subscribe now so you never miss the life hacks you need to live the life you want.